0: Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Berean Post um, devotional podcast. For those of you that have been following along, we've been going through the book of Corinthians. We are in chapter 6 and we're looking at verses 7 to 11 today. I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into the text. Paul says, now therefore, it's already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept the wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that unrighteous, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The context here is simple. How to resolve disagreements in the church. The people in the church were having arguments and the Apostle Paul wanted to help them make peace. He shared vital advice to show them how to improve things and work together. Paul talks about how believing in Jesus can change them, helping them leave behind their fights and become more united as a group. Then he asks the question, Why do you rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? The question raised, Why do you you not rather accept wrong? why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated, may seem puzzling at first glance. However, it underscores the significance of prioritizing unity and love within the Christian community. Paul intends not to suggest a universal principle of accepting wrongdoing or being taken advantage of in all circumstances. Instead, he addresses a specific situation where believers took each other to court over disagreements that ideally should have been resolved within the church family. Well, this teaching aligns with the broader principles Jesus taught. For instance, Jesus taught about forgiveness, turning to the cheek, and seeking reconciliation. That can be found in Matthew 5, uh, 38-48. So the counsel in this text is consistent with Jesus' teaching in the context of of resolving disputes within the church. So while Immediate, uh, the, so while the immediate situation and wrongdoing might seem counterintuitive, the underlying message is about prioritizing love, unity, and reconciliation within the Christian community, rather than pursuing legal disputes that damage relationships and hinder the testimony of believers. It's not necessarily an innovation of Paul, but rather an application of Jesus' teachings in a specific context. He says, do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You find it interesting that Paul uses the phrase, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It does not say, will not go to heaven. Yet, this is how we have read this text before. However, now we would argue that the concept of heaven as understood by Western Christian culture is not always directly equivalent to how It's understood in ancient biblical and Jewish context. The Kingdom of God is a broader concept that encompasses God's rule and reign over all creation, and the idea of inheriting, inheriting it reflects a deeper connection to God's plan for humanity. The phrase, inherit the Kingdom of God, carries a broader theological emphasis on the overall state of the righteous and the relationship with God rather than just a physical destination. It encompasses the idea that those who are unrighteous, practicing ungodly behaviors, and are not living by God's principles will not experience His kingdom's fullness, including God's blessing and presence, regardless of whether that is understood as heaven or a new state of existence. And the concept of inheritance is a common biblical theme, especially in the context of God's covenant with His people. Inheritances are passed down from one generation to another. Inherit the kingdom of God implies a more profound sense of receiving the promises and blessings of God's covenant, rather than just simply gaining access to a physical place like heaven. Again, Paul describes those who will not inherit God's kingdom, and perhaps it's not a definitive list, but undoubtedly culturally relevant. (coughs) He says fornicators, you know, people who engage in sexual activity outside of marriage, idolaters people who worship or devote uh, worship or uh, devote excessively to idols or false gods adulters those who engage in sexual relationships with someone other than their spouses while being married homosexuals people attracted to or engaging in romantic and sexual relationships with members of the same sex sodomites individuals involved in same-sex sexual practices often none this is you know, more or less uh, the term sodomite is, is really a historical term but nevertheless it's what I said, individuals involved in same-sex sexual practices thieves, those who steal or take things that do not belong to them covetous, people who intensely desire something that belongs to someone else, drunkards individuals who in, uh, habitually drink alcohol to excess revilers, people who speak or insult others harshly or violently and extortioners, those who obtain something from others through threats or force. So there's a list for you. Now, initially, we believe that the terms homosexual and of might be redundant. However, upon further reflection, we might have a broader categorization of actions followed by a definition encompassing other behaviors. This could include actions like bisexual behavior or sexual conduct that falls outside the bounds of, rela- of the of relationships between men and women. Sodomy is a term that historically refers to a range of sexual behaviors considered non-procreative, or outside the traditional heterosexual intercourse. The, uh, the exact definition of sodomy has evolved over time and can vary on, uh, vary based on cultural, legal, and religious contexts. In some historical and legal contexts, sodomy expressly refers to anal or oral intercourse, particularly between individuals of the same sex or um, between humans and, and animals. <clears throat> Note that each of these terms is a noun describing actions people do, not pronouns. They are actions, activities in which people engage, and are not descriptive of people's total identity, in the sense that their, their DNA is predisposed to such actions. The evidence that our last statement is truthful and consistent with a biblical worldview is that Paul reminds the church that some of them were exactly these type of people before entering the kingdom of God. But now they're not. This means that even if people have genetic dispositions to these actions in Christ, we become new creations. Reminding people of where they came from and what they have come out of seems to be a common practice of Paul. In Ephesians, he says in the letter uh, to the Ephesians, Paul speaks of believers' past state of being, dead, in trespasses and sin, highlighting the contrast between their former condition and their new life in Christ. In Colossians 3, 5-11, Paul writes to the Colossians, urging them to put off their old sinful practices and to put on uh, the new self in Christ. In Titus 3, verses 3-7, in this passage, Paul speaks to Titus about the transformation brought about by God's mercy and grace, emphasizing that believers were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. And then, lastly, in Galatians 5, 19, while not explicitly stating the past condition, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, indicating a transformation from sinful behaviors to a life characterized by the Spirit's influence. He goes on to say, But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul now affirms their present state after describing what they used to be like. He uses terms like washed, sanctified, and justified. And while it would undoubtedly be worth describing each of these terms today in length, time does not permit. However, we shall give a fundamental definition. Washed. This means our sins have been removed and we are no longer dirty or stained in God's eyes. Justified. This means the bad blood between God and the Father and us has been, God the Father and us has been removed. God has not mattered us. He's not giving us the silent treatment, and he's not holding a grudge. Sanctify. This means that God has chosen and dedicated us for a, a particular purpose. We have been set apart for use for that particular purpose. Today, our explored passage, passage rather implores us to prioritize unity, love, and reconciliation within the Christian community. It encourages us to embrace transformative faith in Christ, leaving behind past conflicts and entering a new way of living that aligns with God's overarching plan for his people.